We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. To you, the listener, I want you to know that I appreciate you, and I'm thrilled to have you here for another episode. If there's ever anything that I can do to support you, please reach out. That being said, the best way for you to connect with me is on LinkedIn. That's a channel that you'll find me most active, posting daily information about marketing strategy, tips, all podcast episodes, and upcoming events. If you'd like to connect, make sure to send a note with your connection request that says that references social capital. I can't wait to hear from you. Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click, a strategic digital marketing agency that believes in order to successfully market to your ideal customer, you have to first understand your customer. Learn more at keystoneclick.com. Today's guest is Tim Ash. Tim is an acknowledged authority on evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. He is a sought-after international keynote speaker and the best-selling author of Unleash Your Primal Brain, and landing page optimization. Tim has been mentioned by Forbes as a top 10 online marketing expert and by Entrepreneur Magazine as an online marketing influencer to watch. For 19 years, he was the co-founder and CEO of SiteTuners, a digital optimization agency. Tim helped to create over $1.2 billion in value for companies like Google, Expedia, eHarmony, Facebook, American Express, Canon, Nestle, lots more on that list. All right, everybody, let's say... Hello to Tim. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Lori. Great to be with you. Excited to have you here. You are in a world that I love talking about, so I know today's going to be a fantastic conversation. Um, All right, let's dive in, though. I'm really intrigued by this. How does the evolutionary psychology help us to understand our social natures? Well, our brains evolve for a reason, and we share things with the earliest forms of life on Earth, like insects and um, more primitive, or let's say more ancient forms of life. And then as we evolved, we layered on different things. So the, at the very end of our evolution, we gotten some really, really bizarre just species level stuff that makes us unique. And in fact, I'd say that's why we took over the whole planet. And so to understand that evolutionary path and some of the things that we inherited along the way helps us to understand how to be in relationships with each other, whether that's in business or in personal relationships. I love that. So um, let's talk about storytelling. Obviously, this is a major topic in in the digital space and just marketing as a whole. But um, from your perspective, why is storytelling important? But more importantly, how does it work? Mm, well, if again, I like to go back to first principles and evolution to, de- to define all this stuff. And so I, I like to ask the question of why is storytelling even something we do? Why do we have language? Why do we tell stories? And we're highly cultural creatures. We'll probably talk about that in more depth as well. But mm-hmm. one of the things that we can do is learn from each other. So, you know, that you can learn from your own mistakes or other people's mistakes. 
And by being able to learn from other people's mistakes, we avoid danger, we increase our chances of survival. So if I said, hey, Lori, if you keep going down that forest path and around the bend, you're going to run into a really angry mama bear and it's going to tear you to shreds. I got the scars to prove it right here. I'm still bleeding from it. The <laughs> encounter with the bear, right? Mm -hmm. That'd probably be useful information to you. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. So basically what I did just saved you was the danger uh, or the time investment, the, um, the uncertainty of dealing with that situation by telling you about it. So what I did is I kind of transferred my experiences into your head. I don't know if you've ever watched the old Star Trek show. They had Mr. Spock. He was a very logical Vulcan and he could do this yeah. Vulcan mind meld. He'd put his hands on your skull and transfer his experiences directly into your head. And it seems so far-fetched, but that's essentially what stories do. They've shown on brain scans that if a teller is telling a story with a very slight delay, the recipient on the other end is activating the same parts of the brain. So you're really doing a kind of a mind meld and transferring your experiences into someone else by telling a story. Very powerful way to help you survive. So from a, um, I love that. And, and your focus, it sounded like was heavy on the education side of things, but also storytelling from my perspective um, and just the way that people connect is and, and wanna be part of a conversation or pull more information is not only education, but also entertainment. And I think it, it's a combination of the two. Well, again, from an evolutionary standpoint, I don't think entertainment is a, um, a goal, but I would say that entertainment helps the medicine go down. So if I'm telling you an experience, I might choose to be funny about it. You know, and then, then sure. that makes you more engaged with it, which forms a stronger memory of my story. Uh, so absolutely, that's important. One other thing to, that's super important is knowing that the morals that people get from the same story are going to be very different based on our experiences and our cultural beliefs. Mm -hmm. It depends on which tribe we're in. So the same objective reality will land very differently when I tell that story to different audiences. Uh, I'll use this example from the book. Imagine this objective reality, which I can film with my cell phone and record a video of. The matador stood in the center of the bullring and the bull charged at him. He definitely sidestepped and plunged his sword between the bull's shoulder blades, striking its heart and killing it instantly. Okay, now that's something, again, objective reality, I can video record that. Mm -hmm. Now, let's think about potential audiences for this. If I was telling this story to someone in Spain that liked bullfighting, they probably, the themes or the morals they get out of it would be along the lines of, okay, it's, it's about man versus nature. It's about discipline and being an impeccable warrior. It's about tradition, all of these generally positive things. And if I told it to someone from PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals, they would think, well, this is cruelty and animal torture and then followed by animal murder. And people are subsidizing the watching of this by paying money and it should be stopped immediately. So the morals of the story are going to be different depending on your audience. And it's sure. really, really important to understand who you're talking to. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, Let's change a little bit the topic now around tribes. So why why do we form into tribes 
and groups and whatnot. Well, yeah, I mean, that is kind of a great follow on that, you know, like I was just describing two different tribes, bullfight sure. lovers and PETA, right? Those are two mm -hmm. different tribes. And you can make a lot of assumptions about how they would respond to a story like that just by knowing they're members of those groups. The reason that we form into tribes from an evolutionary perspective is that um, we're weaker individually. So there are, there are some animals that can survive on their own very well, alligators, sharks, mm -hmm. um, mostly things that lay eggs. Uh, but when you start moving into mammals, we're, we might be weaker individually, but we have the protection of the herd. And uh, you know, we, we congregate, we feel bad when we're cut out of the herd or are alone and so on. That's just part of our mammalian inheritance. But with humans, the whole last part of my book, the last several chapters is called hypersocial. We depend on each other to an incredible degree. And we place this one big evolutionary bet on learning the cultural package around us from other people. That's what helps us survive. You know, we live decades beyond our reproductive years because we're transmitting culture to the younger generation and things that are of value. Uh, so we're the only animals that live a couple of decades beyond our reproductive years. So we're definitely an outlier there. And all of that cultural transmission helps us to survive. And we can only learn that from our immediate tribe. So the tendency to cluster into tribes, to pass on information, uh, in a way that's unaltered. In other words, if you're not a good team player, we're going to kick you out of the tribe. Um, so you have to be willing to parrot information that the tribe is transmitting to other people without changing it, even if it overrides your own direct experience. So your eyes are telling you one thing, but your cultural package is telling you something else. You better be passing on the cultural package because overall, group survival makes it so much easier for us individually that we're willing to override our own direct experience. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, as you said all that, I have like vivid images of myself kind of in similar situations and, and doing just, just that. That's fascinating. That compliance, right? So if you don't comply uh -huh. with the wishes of your tribe or conform to it, there's these escalating things that we do to keep you in line from gossiping around about you, denying economic opportunities, mating opportunities, uh, throwing you out of the tribe. That's a pretty extreme one or even killing you. So it depends on how bad your transgression is, right? But uh -huh. keeping that tight team is the goal and what helps us to survive. And by the way, the one thing that makes us unique uh, from other animals and primates is that normally our tribe contains a lot of people that are genetic relatives. So it makes sense to try to help their survival. So that might be 100 to 200 close people. But with humans, we have these overlapping tribal identifications, I guess you could say. For example, I might be born to certain parents. Okay, that's my family. That's my tribe in that sense. I might choose to shave my head, which I do. So I'm part of the streamlined haircut tribe. <laughs> I might choose to drive a Mercedes. So that makes me a Mercedes driver. And sometimes I associate with that tribe. But some of these things are involuntary. For example, no one chooses to be an orphan or to be born in a particular place. Um, or, you know, to see the, to end up a certain skin color or, or a kind of racial background, if you want to call it that. So which tribal identity we activate depends on our circumstances. Sure. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Um, really fascinating too. Well, this is gonna be a good time to pause for a quick message from our sponsor. 
Social Capital is sponsored by Keystone Click. Located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Keystone Click is a strategic digital marketing agency focused on helping their clients generate and nurture opportunities online. For Social Capital listeners, they've created an awesome Guide to Profits booklet featuring 42 tips on how to build brand awareness, generate leads, and nurture those opportunities online. Visit keystoneclick.com backslash profits to download your own guide today. Tim, I know we've been having a fascinating conversation around people and how they make some of these choices and decisions in life, but let's talk about networking because that that's that's what relationships are all come down to. And mm. when some individuals hear that word, it's evoking fear, hesitation, and uncertainty. And I'm hoping you can help alleviate that by sharing with our listeners one of your most successful or favorite networking um, experiences or stories that you've had. Yeah, and again, I want to take this back to our psychology and, and why, why we do all of this. Um, it turns out, you know, what we think of as the rational part of the brain, um, as opposed to the primal part, mm-hmm. is there mainly to model and update our social relationships in real time. So for example, as I, oh, Lori, I went on your podcast and you might know this other person who's running this other podcast and I want to get on their podcast, um, but I know also their sister-in-law and we don't agree on political views and she's not friends with you, okay, or something like that, right? To model all of that social complexity is what our brains are really for. And so anytime we're not doing some kind of computational task, like what's four plus 17, we instantly, within a fraction of a second, go back to modeling our social world. We do that when we sleep. We do that when we're awake. Having an updated model of our social standing in the tribe is a critical survival skill. So we're actually hyper-social. That's the last part of my book. The last several chapters uh, is called that. Uh, so we network for a variety of reasons, including to improve our social alliances, to get access to certain kind of resources, to feel safety inside of our group or our herd, if you will. Uh, it's, it's a very important mechanism. I love that. Um, so regardless of the size of one's network or tribe, um, how do you, Tim, stay in front of and best nurture these relationships? Well, let's talk about different kinds of social relationships, because there's a famous sociologist, Robin Dunbar, who said the size of our brain is so big because we have the largest social group sizes. But what does that mean in practice? We can have close ties with between 100 to 200 people. That means I know what movies you like. I'll invite you over for dinner, a level of knowing someone. Uh, you'll help me move my furniture if I'm moving, <laughs> moving yeah. houses. Okay, so 100 to 200 people that we know personally and we know a lot about them. Anything else beyond that is an acquaintance. And so it's really important that we have these kind of strong ties and we have weak ties. Mm-hmm. People you meet in a networking setting are going to be most likely weak ties. Uh, so it, we automatically prioritize the strong relationships and we try to maintain a few networking relationships. Sometimes we'll swap out these people in our inner circle for new ones. Over time, I'm sure you've spent less time with certain friends and then you've gotten some new friends, right? But that's a slow process. And that's not to be confused with social media because I'm not kidding anyone. If I I have 15 or 17,000, whatever it is, LinkedIn connections, I know you're a LinkedIn fan. 
Um, doesn't mean I know them all. They probably connected to me when I keynoted it at some giant conference. I was on stage. They were one of thousands of people in the audience. Mm -hmm. They're not like my bestie. So mm -hmm. be clear about whether someone's in your small tribe or your acquaintance tribe. Yeah, I think that's a good way to position it. And then, and then as far as managing and fostering those relationships, you probably want to invest more time in those that are in your smaller tribe. Yeah. And the rest, if through social media, you can amplify, you're sure. essentially broadcasting one way. Yeah. Those people can like or comment and you might respond to a few comments and have some intermediate relationships, but they're probably never people you've broken bread with or met in person. Uh, by the way, there's no, there is nothing that can substitute for personal connections, uh, in-person connections. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of us suffered from mental health issues. I know my teens have during the pandemic and nothing can replace face-to-face -face contact, shaking hands, all of that. I agree hundred percent. Before COVID, one of the questions I would ask my guests is, um, do you prefer in-person or, or digital networking? And the majority of the time it was in-person, then, you know, you had your, um, super introverted individuals that definitely prefer to be behind the screen, but you know, COVID baby, stop asking that question basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would say that nobody really prefers the, the screen stuff, all the studies I've seen introverts, extroverts, people actually feel more isolated by just, you know, having a phone stuck in their face and doing all their interactions that way. Sure. So Tim, what advice would you offer the business professional who's really looking to grow their network or their tribe? Mm. One of the, the most important things is you, you can't have the megaphone. You can't really shout loud enough to be heard over all the other noise out there. Um, and the brands like Sony or Apple or Disney or Coca-Cola took hundreds of millions of dollars and decades to build. And I'm just saying your so your personal brand equivalent of that, if you just like try to be omnipresent, I think that's a mistake. A lot of people stretch themselves too thin. They're on every social platform and they're active everywhere. And what they really are is a mile wide and an inch deep. So you're not really building durable connections. So what I'm a big fan of is having a really, really clear editorial voice. Like what's your personal brand, if I asked you three adjectives uh, to describe your personal brand, most people couldn't come up with that. So what you, you can do is use that editorial or brand voice to attract people to you. So it's the opposite of the megaphone and broadcasting in them. You're saying, here's my crusade. Here's what I'm passionate about. If, if you're in my tribe, come join me. And, and you want a pull effect like a magnet instead of a bullhorn. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the inbound marketing philosophy in general, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so with that, but most people don't have a clear voice. So I'm just going to take a stab at my own in the moment, say I'm on this podcast. I want you to know that I'm, I'm passionate and I'm funny and I'm direct. Mm -hmm. And so every communication coming out of your mouth or in your emails or on your social media posts better embody all three of those. So you say, oh, look, it's Lori. She's, she's, um, you know, passionate, direct and, and funny, you know, and the, if, if that's your brand, yours is probably sure. different than mine. But the point is everything coming out of your, your mouth or your keyboard should have that very strong editorial tone. And that's one of the, the cheapest kinds of leverage you can get in networking. 
Yeah, I love that. Here's a fun one now, Tim. If you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? <laughs> uh, well, I would uh, probably start, and I'm focusing more and more in my middle age on, I would say, foundational stuff. So the one advice I'd give my 20-year-old self is get seven to nine hours of consistent sleep on a regular basis. Don't cheat yourself. Actually, don't, don't do social media and flip through your phone just before you go to bed. Have a uh, phone-free evening or at least the last half hour as you're coasting down into sleep and get regular sleep is daily life support. I have a whole chapter on the evolutionary reasons for it in the book, but uh, I think that's my number one self-help tip for anybody. Love it. Yeah. Sleep, sleep is definitely precious and can be a hot commodity sometimes. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me with something that you'd like to ask me. Well, you've, um, you've also run a digital marketing agency. I'd say, I want to ask you, uh, what is something that you beat your head against the wall for before learning about how to persuade people? Um, so what would, I guess, let me understand the question. Sorry, that was a little convoluted because yeah, you caught yep. me off guard, but basically it's like, <laughs> what did you think intellectually that would persuade people, but didn't. And then what you found in real life was different about how to persuade other people. Oh yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I guess the biggest thing that I've, I've learned, I mean, I try, I'm struggling to think of like the, what my assumption was and what reality was, but the, the reality, and I'd say this is some pretty much common knowledge now, but it took me a while to really digest this from when I started the firm, um, is authenticity just sells so much better and pulls people in somewhat to what you're speaking about. Like these are your, this is who you are. Um, but just being true to yourself, uh, and, um, not dangling the carrot that there's, you know, a, a secret sauce out there, but just being direct and saying, this is how you do it. Um, and being true, uh, is going to attract the type of people that you want to be working with. So being true to yourself is going to attract the type of people that you, that re respect and appreciate that. Yes. Um, the ones that are drawn to you. Exactly. That's what yes. I was talking about that flying that banner. I'm the Pied Piper, follow me. Um, it's a, it's a magnet and not the bullhorn. Like I like to say. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing I've, I've learned over the years, as opposed to the assumption was trying to be something that I, I wasn't, or more so trying to say what I thought people wanted to hear. I, right. I, if, if you're, if you're true to yourself, you know, at least one person in the world will be happier. <laughs> yeah. If you try to be the chameleon for everybody else, no one's going to be happy. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It, it's interesting and fascinating to me that how long it took me to realize that. Um, but I think that's just time in itself and experience to your point, you know, you just have to kind of go through the hurdles. Um, and I, I'm really good at learning my lessons the hard way, <laughs> as much <laughs> as I appreciate the stories that people share with me. Well, um, well, as far as that goes, I would say, you know, most, uh, as I mentioned, people's think you can learn from other people's experience or your own. What I realized is that there's actually two more categories that are much larger. One is people that learn from their own repeated mistakes. And then there's the fourth category by far the biggest, which is 
people who never learn. <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid the repeat mistakes. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah. then you're ahead of the game as yeah. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, if there's a mistake, go, what did I learn to make sure that this will never happen again? Um, that was a fun question. And I mean, you said I threw you off guard, but uh, you definitely threw me off guard. So <laughs> <laughs> we're even. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, any final word of advice that you'd like to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting a network and tribe? Uh, yeah, understand human psychology. Again, to me, whether you're, you want personal growth or you want better relationships or you want to be successful in business, leadership, marketing, sales, it's all around persuasion. So what you're trying to persuade is the human brain. Forget about the tactics, forget about the technology and focus on the, the evolutionary psychology because that tells you how the brain works. And that's applicable in a really broad set of circumstances for your whole life. So if you want to be better at networking, understand the brains you're trying to network with. I love that. Yeah, so true. So important. So Tim, if anyone is interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Well, as you mentioned, I'm a keynote speaker as well as a marketing advisor for senior executives. So if you want information about that, go to timash.com. And if you're interested in my book, which like, as we've talked about, it's kind of the operating system for being a human being, um, you can go to, actually, wait, I'll do one better. If you want uh, the chapter of your choice from my book. Oh. Uh, so just go there, look at the table of contents, pick a chapter, I'll send you the PDF. Go to primalbrain.com slash book, and you can get it there. Cool. All right. We'll include all that information in the, in the show notes here. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Oh, Lori, it's been my pleasure and a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Tim for taking the time to connect with us. And as mentioned before, let's connect on LinkedIn. I'm looking forward to hearing from you shortly, and I hope that you enjoyed today's show. Most importantly, go reach out, connect with someone, reconnect with someone from your past or find someone new to connect with, like Tim. That's what it's all about. Go and build those relationships. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.